we've been looking at some practical questions that uh, arise in our journey of uh, being better disciples. And today's uh, particularly, we're looking at how do you challenge disciples without damaging the relationship? Hello and welcome again to another session in our teaching series, which we've titled A Band of Disciples. And you are already aware that this whole series is using the music band metaphor uh, to highlight that we are called to develop people, a certain type of people in the world that live like Jesus. Our discipling calling, our discipling role is to help build a certain kind of person, a Jesus-like human being who displays the image of God in the world. And we explained that just like musicians don't just learn some musical, um, you know, set of knowledge and they practice a set of skills and then they become musicians, they actually become musicians first by their desire, but the community that they affiliated with, but the dream that they become a certain type of people doing certain things in the world. And as a result of that, they begin to practice some skills. And when they're confronted with a lack of competence or a, a possibility to get better at a particular skill, they go and learn how to do that much in the same way. Christians, disciples are on their pathway of revealing the life of Jesus, becoming a certain type of person in the world. That becomes the desire. That desire, as we expressed in our series too, is very much associated with their community that they call, that they have affinity with, that they call their own. And as a result of that desire, they begin to practice different things. And as a result, when they are stuck, they learn different ways of, uh, you know, improving their capabilities as disciples. And we as disciples are tasked with the opportunity to support them uh, in the journey of revealing the life of Jesus wherever they may be. And we've been looking at some practical questions that uh, arise in our journey of uh, being better disciples. And today's uh, particularly, we're looking at how do you challenge disciples without damaging the relationship? How do you challenge disciples without damaging the relationship that you have with them? And if you have been a discipler or embarking on the journey of being a discipler, you and I know that throughout life, the more we invest, the more at times we feel disappointed pointed with the reactions, with the responses, with the return on investments that we have. Um, I recall a particular season in my life where I was so invested in discipling uh, people, young people, particularly young adults, and uh, and investing a significant amount of time and hours in 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 the church environment where we were, and trying to bring other adults on board. 
I recall I was feeling so depleted, emotionally exhausted. And I said to my father, who is also my spiritual father, he said to me, I said to him, uh, you know, I, I feel exhausted investing in all these discipling relationships. I'm finding very little return on investment. And he said, what do you expect when you take on the hard ministry? Like the easy ministry is just preach and disengage from people and you have no idea whether they're growing or not. And uh, quite frankly, at times, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, many a times I have seen pastors, and I have been a pastor myself, where the core, um, you know, uh, evaluation is how many people attending the church, how many people listening to a sermon, how many people, uh, you know, uh, downloading podcasts or engaging in activities. But how are they traveling spiritually uh, it's hard to find, uh, hard to investigate, and at time we'll begin to ignore that aspect of our approach to ministry. So uh, my father made it out of clear you could do the easy way of disengaging with people, but just monologue type of ministry, or you could engage with them in a discipling relationships, and that's uh, inevitably going to have its own times of exhilaration and exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. And I, I recall one time I had invested in a particular young adult for uh, a long period of time. And uh, uh, it was one of the very first few people in this particular church context that I connected with. He was wise. He seemed level-headed and, and, and easy to get alongside that particular person. Uh, he, he engaged in, in a relationship with me in a way that we connected regularly. We would go even sometimes on a day trip. Uh, we would have coffees and lunches together. We would open up uh, spiritual conversations. And for a significant period, Period of time, it was just going very well, and I, you know, saw him in, engage in some uh, responsibilities in the church and invite him in a in a particular group of uh, discipling relationships as well. Uh, however, after a, a while, it seemed like he wasn't being very responsive. It seemed like he lacked the passion and the care and he wasn't connecting as regularly. In fact, it would, it would seem like I would only, he would only connect if I initiated, uh, you know, the connection. And, and it, just over time, I noticed that he wasn't really passionate about what was going on that he was once passionate about. And I invited him and another person that was close to him uh, to, to catch up for, um, you know, coffee at a, at a cafe that was a little bit further away from the church. And, and we had a, a discussion together and I was trying to ask questions to figure out what's going on in his life. And, and he was very reluctant. He fluffs, uh, you know, the, the, the answers to the questions that I was hoping to be uh, revealing of what's going on in his spiritual walk. Uh, he just, you know, he wasn't willing to engage. And I found myself just, you know, after maybe an hour, an hour and a half, I, I said, some, I said, you know, it, it just makes me feel disappointed that that's where the relationship and the investment has come to. And and maybe I was wrong in saying that. Maybe, maybe it was just wearing my heart on my sleeve and I was just sharing exactly how I was feeling. It, it was disappointing that, you know, all the investment was not necessarily, um, 
you know, bearing the fruit that we both had hoped for this discipling relationship. And I, and I remember the guy just totally disconnected. And maybe it took a year or a year and a half where he was, I just couldn't get to him at all. And, and, and at one time I said, you know, can you just help me understand what's going on? And, and he said, you know, the only thing I remember for our connection together in that cafe that you said something of being disappointed with me. And I, I don't like that. I don't like people being disappointed. And, and it just totally ruined the relationship. And, uh, you know, I remember that with an element of, of disappointment and regret about what I said, even though it was in a calm manner, it was in a concerned way. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it comes every now and again where you feel when there is a tension in a, a discipling relationship or a relationship that's, you know, not producing the fruit that, that I would hope uh, from. You know, I feel like I don't want to engage in a, in a, in a genuine uh, communication with that person just in case they get disappointed and just in case it fractures uh, the relationship even though the relationship might not be at its best, but at least it's there. And uh, I noticed a little bit of an anxiety on the inside of that. And if you've been in a relationship, any relationship, but particularly in a discipling relationship where there is investment and disappointment, we have uh, one of three reactions that we do when, when there is disappointments in our relationship. Uh, one, we freak out. <laughs> You know, we can we can we can say things, we can do things that are just emotionally charged rather than being considered. Or sometimes we just freeze. We say, okay, what what else can I do in that relationship? And we just we do nothing. We freeze. We don't do anything at all. And and we almost feel like could I go under the covers and maybe by some sheer miracle that the relationship will be reinvigorated and, and our connection will be reactivated and they will go on a, on a growth uh, you know, uh, pathway again and, and we do nothing. Or maybe sometime we just flee the relationship. We say, this relationship reminds me so much of another relationship or it reminds me of an emotional experience I've had or it reminds me of some uh, connections, uh, friendship connection that I've had in the past and it didn't end up well. As soon as I smell an element of tension, I want to run for my life and we want to go to another relationship where the tension isn't there. I don't know what your reactions uh, to some of these disappointments, but uh, you know the Bible is is so filled with with better ways of doing relationship. You know the Bible never shows us uh, discipling relationships where it's like movies where uh, you know hero goes uh, you know from A to B or from A to Z in 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 like a victorious harmonious way. No, in real life we encounter ups and downs and difficulties and concerns and disappointments and betrayals and the like. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, as a real life example uh, of a discipler who went through the ups and downs in life, uh, writes and leaves us a, a documented expression of how he dealt with restoring, uh, uh, you know, a godly um, congregation 
uh, without, um, you know, damaging the relationship. He focused on restoration uh, and, um, and, and attempted his best to make sure that the relationship uh, was not damaged. Uh, you probably are familiar with Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. Um, you know, the Corinthians uh, church was one of the most, um, I think, turbulent relationship that the Apostle Paul had with the church. Uh, he wrote to them four letters, in fact, over um, his journey with them. Uh, two of those letters are lost, uh, but we, we, we have at least two letters that are uh, really different in, in, in their tone. One of them, uh, the, the, the second one in particular, seems to be uh, highly emotional. He is so proud of them at, at one moment, and he is so gutted that they withhold uh, their affection from him. Uh, the church, uh, overall, he had a, a connection with the church, we would say, for about seven years, starting from about 50 AD, where he went to Corinth, and for about a year and a half, he established the church. Um, he visited them a little bit later after that, and um, and he had what uh, some commentators call the painful visit, uh, and he promised to visit them again on a on a, a third a, a third time, but he uh, he had a change of plan, which we'll address in a second. And he sent him a letter in, uh, in instead, which was the painful letter or a sorrowful letter. And now he writes 2 Corinthians as a way of an introduction to the third uh, visit that he was hoping to have with them, uh, maybe around uh, 56, 57 AD. Uh, but the, the, that letter was sent because there was... Uh, miscommunication was criticism against Paul. There was a fractured relationship, maybe a damaged uh, a friendship between Paul and the Corinthians. And Paul is writing to rectify that and share with them uh, his heart, uh, his motives, open and transparent communication. And we can uh, you know, get some understandings that can be very practical for us about how we can deal uh, with restoring uh, people's walk with Jesus and deal with those disappointment in a, a spiritual pathway, but not damage the relationship. And, and after reading, um, you know, a, a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter, the end of chapter 1 and, chapter, and the beginning of chapter 2, I will share with you some of our own experiences that our team and I personally, uh, my wife and I have experienced in how we can manage those spiritual restorations uh, and not fully damage the relational connection. This is what how Paul describes these dilemmas that he's experienced with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, starting from chapter 1, verse 23. It says, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. I made my mind that I would not 
have another visit to you. So what's going on here? Paul is about to explain to them why he hasn't returned to them, uh, even though he had promised a visit. Uh, it, why did he resort to send a letter and instead of visiting them? Because most commentators are saying that they, the, the Corinthians were saying that Paul is a worldly person. He, he says yes and no in the same breath. He, he promises a visit but doesn't fulfill his word. Uh, so they were criticizing not only his ministry as an apostle, which comes throughout the whole book, but they were criticizing his character as a person. So Paul is, is saying to them, the only reason I sent a letter, which is known as a sorrowful letter, is after careful consideration. The word made up my mind actually uh, means he uh, considered the matter carefully and decided that the first visit, or his second visit really, the first visit where he established a church, but the second visit to uh, re resolve this tension that was going on, it didn't go according to plan. And he decided to give them a cooling off period, so to speak. He said, when, you know, that I came to you and I was hoping to resolve that tension that was happening in the congregation. It didn't work out. So rather than coming back as I promised, I decided to leave a little bit of, uh, of time and send you a letter hoping that that will change your mind and change your behaviors so that we can be uh, back on uh, you know, positive terms again. Uh, we don't necessarily know what was the problem. Uh, you know, some scholars suggest that there was immorality in the church and Paul asked them for some moral actions, uh, you know, serious actions that some people were happy to take actions. Others were supporting the minority and the, the offender so they didn't want to engage. And that created grief. And, uh, and this is what Paul actually said. He says, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. So as some people refuse to take action and resolve that you know, the tension that was going on because of an immoral uh, situation. Uh, Paul was between a rock and a hard place. Uh, he was experiencing, uh, you know, the tension of relational grief. Uh, and he didn't want to create grief because he's saying, you're the people that I want to have a good relationship with. If I grieve you, who's going to make me joyful? If you're the type of people that's supposed to have that uh, harmonious, happy relationship together. So he's worried about the relationship, but he's also concerned about the godliness uh, in the congregation and the actions, the serious actions they needed to take. So he says this to them, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And here Paul is opening his heart and he's saying, I want to share with you my heart. I didn't come to you because I didn't want to distress you. But I didn't want to ignore the situation, which is the easiest way, you know, fleeing the situation or freezing and doing nothing. He says, I just wanted out of love to address the situation. Uh, Paul was uh, living with the tension of a relational concern 
that there will be like a, a, a fractured relationship and the restoration of godliness in the community. But he chose that his love for these people was not going to stop him from addressing their long-term benefit, which is dealing with uh, the stuff that the enemy was doing to, uh, to, to manipulate the, the church and to ruin and derail their mission. So Paul says this, he says, If anyone has caused you grief, uh, which is the offender, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Here, Paul is, is coming to the other side of dealing with the challenge and saying, okay, uh, because of the sorrowful letter, the painful letter, you acted, the majority of you, obviously not all of them, but the majority of you dealt with the situation, uh, probably removed themselves from the offender as a way of sharing, of saying we don't share in the same way of living and standard of living. And now he's saying, okay, now that that person has repented, restore your love to that person. That uh, punishment or the separation was sufficient. Now comfort that person, reaffirm your love, forgive that person. And I also forgive that person. Can you see the process of restoration is coming to a, a, a fruition now. And then he finishes off by saying, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Whilst Paul is giving a rationale for why he did what he did, uh, he's now explaining that there is another level of interaction that they can't be oblivious of. So there is the offender, there is Paul, there is the congregation, the majority and the minority. And Paul is saying, but be aware that Satan is at play. In what way, Paul? Satan wants to ruin our relationship together, our unity. But also Satan wants to ruin the restoration of the godly standards that you stand for as followers of Jesus. If I ignore addressing the situation for fear that we may damage our relationship, well, Satan has outwitted us. And Satan is going to utilize this situation to create ungodly living standards for the long term. But if I was brutal and says, uh, you know, I'm just going to go for the restoration and I ignore the relationship and I freak out or I say stuff that is brutal and harsh and difficult and not focusing on restoration. Well, Satan is outwitted as, uh, us as well by destroying the unity that Jesus said that displays um, who we are 
in him as a distinctive feature by loving one another. So Paul is exhibiting to us what do we do in order to facilitate an environment that deals with relational concern as well as restoration of godliness. And three things I'm going to suggest to you from our practical experiences, you will add your own way as you experiment with different uh, actions and interactions with those people that you want to support. Um, But there is three things that we found helpful. Discern, confront, and affirm. Discern, confront, and affirm. The first one is discern by the Spirit what's going on. First of all, in order to discern that something isn't quite right spiritually, you as a discipler needs to walk circumspect walk with Jesus. That means you need, it doesn't mean you be perfect in your walk with Jesus, but you need to be serious and diligent. You can't, you know, the sad thing is, if you're a preacher, you can have microphone magic, you can teach the Word of God with absolute mastery, but you are not living wholeheartedly for Jesus and people wouldn't know about it. You can trick people by your intellect. You can trick people by your passion. You can trick people by your charisma. But if you're going to disciple people, you need to live the life so that God could reveal to you how you could invest in others, how you could discern what's going on in their life. Because God is not going to entrust you if you're not walking wholeheartedly and diligently and circumspectly with godliness in your own heart. God is not going to reveal anything. The second thing we suggest, be open to the Spirit of God. Allow God to, you know, as you pray for people, as you interact with people, you know, that's been the biggest thing where you sense their passion or lack of. You sense, uh, you know, that they're not really sharing transparently. You might be, you know, uh, sensing that they may be going in a particular way, a distracting way or a sinful way or a disillusioned way or a discouraged way or a despairing way, whatever it might be. Be open to the Spirit. Allow Him to deposit ideas and act on it. Once you figure out what's going on and you might notice that something isn't quite right in the person that you're discipling or in a group of people you're discipling, you know, have some careful consideration. Think about it properly. Just like Paul said, you know, it, it's not written there in the scripture why he should have gone to the next visitor or send the letter. He made a practical wise decision based on some consideration. You know, if I went and, and we, we, we've had a bad experience, if I go again, well, that might make things even worse. So what about if I give a cooling off period? What about if I send a letter instead? So consider your actions. The the fourth thing in this discerning what God would want you to do is prepare pragmatically. Don't prepare emotionally. You know, most people when they feel, you know, something isn't going quite well in their group or with someone in there, they just want to go and and be charged emotionally. You know, what's going on in your life? You know, well, you know, this is not supposed to be. You should be better than that. And, And they can hurt people or share something that can deflate them or discourage them or even Ruin them. So be pragmatic. Be pragmatic in the way. Uh, ask questions. Help. Uh, ask people to help you understand what's going on. Dignify them. Uh, you know, respect their point of view. And and as you prepare pragmatically, be aware that God would lead you as you converse. Second thing: confront and love. 
Uh, you know, most people say, oh, I don't want to confront. Oh, no, no. No, you're worried about your reputation. You're not worried about the person. You're worried about your reputation that they might dislike you. No, you need to confront, uh, speak the truth in love. Communicate your genuine care in, in when you have a meeting, when you schedule a meeting, a kind meeting. Begin by sharing your care. I care about you. I hope you can smell that. I care. I love you. Your future, your restoration, your enablement, your empowerment, your calling matters to me. Communicate your love genuinely to the person. If you don't love them, don't lie. You need to wait until you love them deeply before you connect with them and confront them. Secondly, ask for clarification questions. Things like, would you please help me understand why you acted in this particular way? Would you please help me understand what's going on in your, in your prayer life? Can you please help me understand what's going on in that relationship? You know, you can ask the person to help you understand what's going on. Then share your concerns. They might not say what's going on precisely. They may be oblivious to it. They may be blinded to it. They may be embarrassed to share it. In love, say, you know, it makes me wonder. I feel maybe that something like that could be going on. You know, is that is that correct? Am I am I on a you know am I on a tangent? Help me help me figure out whether my little concerns are valid or not valid. Don't push your way through it. And then give them time to give you feedback. Give them time to say, you know, okay, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Maybe I didn't see it that way before. Help them to communicate what they're feeling. Then finally, once you've had the discussion and it's probably tense and embarrassing and you both feel emotionally drained, affirm the person. The person is different from their action. So have confidence in their restoration. Say, so, you know, I know if this has happened in the past, I totally believe in you. Like Paul says, I have full confidence in you that God is going to see you through, that this thing's going to be turned around. If you don't have hope that God can use the situation to turn it around for good, then you don't have hope in God, the supernatural in God of the impossible. So affirm them by having confidence that things will turn out for the good of those people who love God and want to live as Jesus-like people. Then uh, express your willingness to support them. You know, how can I support you in this particular uh, journey of restoration? Is there a way that I can do? Is there like a, a keep you accountable or I can pass on some information or maybe refer you to somebody that you need help with? Whatever it might be, affirm to them that you're willing to walk the journey. You're not a postman. You're a, you're, you're a person that walks with his people. Uh, uh, thirdly, just show that love never fails. Love is not hurt and runs away when things aren't working. Love never fails. Love is unconditional. So ask God for support so you could have that love and you could express that love that never fails. Tell them that our relationship is not damaged as a result of that conversation. We might have a little bit of friction over the next week or two. I understand if you're going to feel awkward about connecting. But hey, just be aware I, I don't have any bad feelings. I am completely committed to our relationship. God's love is will overwhelm our tender feelings at the moment. And finally... 
uh, ask if it will be helpful to agree on the next steps. How can we follow up each other? Are you going to talk to me in a week? Are you going to talk to me in a month? You know, obviously just be aware or be emotionally intelligent about people's needs because some people might feel overwhelmed. So just be, uh, you know, reasonable and wise, but find a way uh, to have some follow-up um, you, you know, process. Uh, at times that I find this very hard because you don't want to feel that you're pressuring the person, but it's probably something to do with my personality and my weakness. But if you can, figure out a way to follow up with people. I want to leave you with one little line. Don't guard your reputation above their restoration. Don't guard your, reputa your reputation above their restoration. Risk your relational uh, reputation. Risk your relational harmony for, uh, harmony for the sake of their spiritual restoration. I pray that as you uh, begin to engage with other people on a more deeper level rather than just patting them on the back all the time and as you begin to speak the truth in love and, and discern what's going on and then confront in love and, 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 and then affirm the person, I pray that you would experience the joy that comes by seeing the change and the transformation that takes place only when people step outside their comfort zone and engage with others in a more deeper level. Thank you so much for your investment in people that love Jesus. May His blessing and favor rest upon you and your relationship with God-loving people. Thank you so much for being with us. Looking forward to being with you in our next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus. Oh,